The reading this morning is from the Old Testament book of the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 29, verses 10 through 14, and this is from the New Revised Standard Version. For thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Grace and peace to you, beloved. As we prepare to discuss this passage from Jeremiah, I want to make sure that you all have a piece of paper that looks like this. Do you have that? Denise has them ready if you don't. The other side looks like this. And Carlo is dropping the link online so that you'll have access to the information as well. So let's take a deep breath. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight this morning, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This morning, I would like to share part of my story that is a bit sensitive and it could be upsetting for anyone who has experienced or is experiencing pregnancy loss. May I proceed this morning? Jason and I were married in 2011. Within a couple of years, our doctors were advising fertility treatments if we wanted to become parents through giving birth. After a year's worth of treatments, four procedures, and one pregnancy loss. I miscarried for the second time, this time with twins, on December 23rd, 2014. We were heartbroken, of course, and we had been simultaneously pursuing the fertility treatments and foster care in the previous year. After that second miscarriage, we decided that we had enough of the fertility treatments and we were simply going to make ourselves available and put everything we had into becoming licensed foster parents who would also be available to adopt if that need arose. Our license was approved in the spring of 2015, but the phone was not ringing and the silence was gut-wrenching. We longed to be parents, but everything we tried was not working. We felt isolated, exiled into a world of deep pain and loss. God has a plan for you, 
We were told over and over again by well-meaning people who love us dearly, and we really wanted to believe it. God has a plan. It's something that we say to each other when we are seeking answers to questions that just do not make sense. Sometimes life feels like this maze that you have before you, either here in the sanctuary or online. I believe we have a slide as well. Sometimes life feels like this maze in which we're walking around aimlessly with no direction and no guarantee that the path will actually lead us to a place that we really want to go. You're welcome to try to figure this one out while I talk today. It's a bit tricky. It's human nature to be curious and to try to make sense out of our world, particularly as we are seeking the smoothest path of action for our lives, because we're all searching for something. Last week, we began talking about five common internet searches for familiar Bible passages in our new five-week series. And so far, we have acknowledged that most people are seeking unconditional love and acceptance. That's why John 3.16 is so popular. For God so loved the world. Today we are taking a look at Jeremiah 29.11 in the context of the words of God shared with the people of God while their world was crumbling around them. Many of us turn to this verse when we are seeking assurance that everything is going to turn out okay. But things were not okay for the people when they heard these words from Jeremiah. They were under attack, and their way of life was at stake. The people living in their promised land had turned away from their faith. They were putting their own desires ahead of faithfulness to God and over the needs of the most vulnerable in their community. And so this pattern of behavior led to problems in their society and in their economy and in their weakened state, they were vulnerable to the power of foreign kings. And time was running out. And this is where we meet Jeremiah. He's a prophet who lived in the southern kingdom of Judah during the reign of King Josiah. Now, just a reminder, prophets were not fortune tellers. They were not future tellers in the way we might think. They simply said, this is what is going to happen if you don't change your ways. These are the consequences of your current pattern of behavior. Jeremiah was no different in that way. He told the people that their choice to turn their back on God and each other would lead them to destruction, to captivity, to exile in a foreign land. Babylon, to be exact, everyone's worst enemy. So Jeremiah's message was not without hope, however. He called the people to turn back to God, and he continued to speak to God's faithfulness, even in that dire situation. And did the people listen? No. The Babylonians invaded Judah and destroyed the temple in Jerusalem, and several waves of deportation began to take place as the conquering king ordered the Hebrew people to be captured and taken to Babylon for what would turn out to be 70 years. I think we have a slide for this, Jason. After 70 years, the Persian troops would overtake the Babylonians, and then the Hebrew people were free to return to their homeland and their relatives who had escaped capture. 
Now, according to the history books, we're probably talking about a literal 70-year span here. But the number 70 in the Bible also speaks of prime time. It speaks of the best years of life, the life of the years of strength, the years of vigor, the years of stamina and life. So Jeremiah's point is that the Hebrew people's immature and unwise behavior is going to cost them something. The best years of their lives, 70 years, several decades of their collective story in which they could have been flourishing in their homeland as a people group. But again, the message is not without hope. And you don't have to take my word for it. Let's look it up. I hope you have your Bibles today. I've asked that you bring your Bibles because we're in church and it's important that we understand where to find the passages that will support us in life. If you don't have a Bible, we have several under the Jesus window. You could borrow one and even take it home. But for those of you who do have your Bibles or your Bible app on your phone, that counts, please look up Jeremiah 29 verse 10. 29 verse 10. Could you go back one slide, please, Jace? Thank you. Who would like to read this morning? Jeremiah 29, verse 10. Anybody? Yeah, Harlan, go ahead. I will bring you back home. That's right. Next slide, please, Jason. I will bring you back home. I will fulfill my promise, God says, and I will bring you back to this place. And that promise leads us directly to one of the most famous verses in our Bible, the next verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. Who would like to read that one? 29, 11. That's right. For surely I know the plans that I have for you, plans for welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. So this promise and this assurance, they point to the pattern of God's behavior that we see throughout the Bible. Can you go back one more, please, Jason? I want to know if you remember it. What's the pattern? We've talked about it several times in my two years with you. What is the pattern of God's behavior in face of the suffering of the people? What does God do? This is something I want you to remember. It's a big theme that I want you to internalize. Go ahead, Jason. In the face of suffering, God hears the cries of the people, sees their suffering, and is moved to save them, moved with compassion to save them, to save us. And you can see it right there in your Bibles if you're following along and we continue reading to verse 12. God says, you will call me and I will hear you. You will call and I will answer. This is not a game of hide and seek. It's a game of seek and find. You will find me, God says, when you seek me with all of your heart. You will find me. And that is because God does not hide from us. God does not hide from us, beloved. We may feel 
isolated and alone, especially when things are not going the way we planned, when things are falling apart and we can't see the way forward. But God is always with us in the exile. And that's exactly what Jason and I discovered all those years ago. You obviously know that we have three kids at this point. They are amazing children. We welcomed Natalie into our home through the foster system in May of 2015. The next month, I discovered that I was pregnant with Augie, who was a complete and total surprise. He was born on December 21st of 2015. Two days later, we returned home with our two children. That would be December 23rd, 2015, exactly one year to the day that we lost our twins. God is faithful. Now, the gifts of Natalie and Augie and four years later, Olivia, would never replace what we lost. And I'm not saying that God caused us to go through that experience so that we would be grateful for what we did receive. But God can use the pain that we experience in beautiful ways. God has a plan for us beyond what we can see. And that plan does not exclude pain and loss. But it does bring new life and possibility. And that's what makes hope so powerful. Because hope is not wishful thinking. This is another one of those things I really want you to remember. Hope is not wishful thinking. What is it? It's expectation. Hope is expectation in the faithfulness of God. Hope is expectation in that pattern of behavior. That God hears our cries and sees our suffering and is moved with compassion to help us. It's precisely in that expectation, beloved, that we continue to put one foot in front of the other because life with God is not so much like a maze as it is like a labyrinth. So I want you to take this out. If you have it here in the sanctuary or online, the link is available to you as well. The concept of a labyrinth dates back to Greek mythology, but it has long been used by faith practitioners as a tool of meditation and prayer. A labyrinth, as you can see, consists of one path and starts on the outer edge and moves toward the center. So the journey toward the center and back out again, it gives us the opportunity to quiet our minds, to calm our anxieties, to recover our balance, to reduce our stress, and even to enhance our creativity. You may have walked a labyrinth before. They can be found all over the world. But what you have here is a miniature version that you can use with a pointer finger. So we're going to give this practice a try right now. As you trace your finger from the outside to the inside, to the center, I invite you to take a deep breath. And ask yourselves, what am I seeking in this life? Could I find it here in this practice of connection with God and with myself? Am I on the path that God has for me? Am I walking toward a future with hope? Take a couple of minutes. Continue to trace the path as you take some deep breaths.
It can be a bit tricky with your eyes. You have to really pay attention. And all God's people said, Amen. Beloved, growing in our faith requires daily practice. So I hope that you will tuck this labyrinth into your Bibles or your pocket or your purse or maybe save it on your electronic device. I invite you to use it every day this week. Just give it a try. Use it every day this week. And remember that when we are seeking a greater plan for our lives, we also have the opportunity to walk the path that is before us intentionally, trusting that we are not alone. Amen? Amen. As we move into a time of prayer, I want to remind the kids that in your worship bags you will find a wooden cross, which you can hold. And remember that we are holding God's hand when we pray. We are connected to God and to each other. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, you have taught us that you have a plan for each one of us. Your hand guides our steps and provides us with all that we need. Because you are good, you want only the best for us. We ask this morning that your pathway will become manifest in our lives. Help us to walk in the paths that you have laid out in front of us and lead us through the narrow gate. In Jesus' name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.